We ask that you would be creation, that you would lead it, that you would guide it, that you would continue to bless us, that you would continue to fellowship and worship and free us from openness. We ask that you would be with us. Give us strength for each day. Make them to walk, to lead and guide those little ones that you have blessed us with. We ask these things in Jesus' name. He taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.
May we be greeted this morning with greetings of grace and mercy and peace from God our Heavenly Father to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Last this morning, I guess, that I spent the last few days sitting on a dusty open track for some a little raspy and stuff, so bear with me. For a text this morning, we'll turn to the book of Isaiah to the 66th chapter, and I will read the first four verses, reading in Jesus' name. Thus saith the Lord, the heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that ye built unto me, and where is the place of my rest? For all these things hath my eye made, and all these things have been, saith the Lord. But to this man will I look, even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit, and trembleth at my word. He that killeth an ox is as if he slew a man. He that sacrificeth a lamb as if he cut off a dog's neck. He that offereth an oblation as if he offereth swine's blood. He that burneth incense as if he blessed an idol. Yea, they have chosen their own ways, and their soul delighteth in their abominations. I also will choose their delusions, and will bring their fears upon them. Because when I called, none did answer. When I spake, they did not hear. But they did evil before mine eyes, and chose that which I delighted not. Amen. This portion of scripture, it, I guess, you'd say in one sense, it's it gives a very, in a short few verses, a very distinct difference, I guess, about what it is that God is looking for from mankind. It gives us a picture, I guess I would say, of how it is that God looks at different Criteria. He looks at us differently, and we are able perhaps even to look at ourselves, but definitely at others. I guess as people we are, we are well aware of what we can see in other people. We can't see into a heart. We can sometimes see actions that would speak of what is in a heart, but we can't see into a heart. And sometimes... We as people, if I say we put on a front to present, sometimes, I guess possibly all times to some degree, we have a front that is what people see. We try to generally put forward our best behavior, appear that we are presentable in public, and there's nothing wrong with that. We don't want to always present, I guess, be miserable to be around all the time. And yet there can come, and if we take that too far, it becomes a problem. Because we are putting on a a front, 
and it is different from what it is in the heart. And especially if it comes to matters of faith and spiritual matters, it's a problem because we know because of what the Bible tells us, and I hope we know because of how God has dealt in our own lives, that God is concerned about the matters of the heart. Thus saith the Lord, The heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that ye build unto me? And where is the place of my rest? As a Christian, this, I would hope, is about as basic of understanding as you can get. That the fact of the matter is that this entire world and this entire universe, God made it. And if we have the opportunity or had it looked, and there's computer programs now so that it can visually, you can start and look at, I don't even know how big of area of space, and space is bigger than we can even see, let alone comprehend. And it can zoom in so that something that's a little light off in the distance becomes our whole solar system, and then, or I mean, our whole galaxy, and then one little tiny spot off in the distance there, become, it can bring in so it becomes our solar system and the earth, and down to almost where we live. And then we're just one individual person in that. And perhaps that's one of the problems is because we have our human limitations. And if we look at it from the big picture, we seem so insignificant that how is it that the creator of this would pay any attention to me? And then if we understand that God, he does care for us individually. The Bible tells us that he knows when one sparrow dies, and we are of much more value than a sparrow. Our hairs are numbered. And it doesn't even matter what the number is of that, but it's just the fact of telling us and explaining to us how intimately it is that God knows each of us. The truth of the matter is, he knows us better than we do. And then as people, we, we understand, I think it's just an innate thing, because we can look at people who have had zero contact with God, or perhaps almost zero. <coughs> they live off in, the, I'll say jungle somewhere, but does not necessarily be, but... And they have an understanding that they have to appease a God. That there is somehow there's something that is demanded of them that they are struggling to live up to. And so they have to make sacrifice to this to some God. God here is saying that I built everything that you see, including us. What is it that 
we are going to do, that we are going to build, that would appeal to God, that would give him somewhere where he would come and abide. And I guess this gives a little bit more pertinence to it when we consider that when Isaiah worshipped this, sorry, when Isaiah wrote this, they were still in the Old Testament times and God had allowed, I will use that word, Solomon to build the temple and he had, we can read where he promised that he would dwell there. And that if things were going bad, if they turned there, he would listen and he would hear them. And it is a big promise and it is a, a wonderful promise to understand that God was, his presence was in that building and I have to admit I can't quite understand it because we understand that he is everywhere he understands everything and yet a special portion of his spirit was in that temple and if people turned there and recognized that fact he would hear them we today if I go down a bit of a rabbit trail We have the privilege, we can read in Corinthians there, where it tells us that we individually and collectively, if the Spirit of God dwells in us, we are the temple of God. And that is why we can turn to one another and seek direction, seek comfort, seek encouragement, seek help. And especially, and I would hope that we would do it, that we would do it asking that the Spirit of God would be there. And if we were asking some fellow Christian some question about something we are struggling with, or perhaps we are going to speak to someone about something that they are struggling with, that in either case, we would take the time to pray that God's Spirit would be with them also and give them wisdom to give us what is necessary. God cares. He understands our failings and how we fail at times to live up to things like that. But He is there. But he is telling these people that he, I guess, is giving a little glimpse into the, and I'll use the word, omnipotence of God. He's saying that don't get ideas in your head of what it is that you're doing that can is pleasing to me. You can't build me anything that is better than what he has done. We understand that. It says, For all these things hath my hand made, and all these things have been made, saith the Lord. I could have, I guess, read that portion of that second verse along with the first, because it's just, God is putting emphasis to the people that he's speaking to, and to us. To understand 
that we are not to get ideas in our head of what it is that we can do to please God, or that we're going to do something special and that God is going to be pleased with us because we are doing it for God. God answers here, and this is something that I guess is perhaps one of the most important things for us as people to remember. I can turn to other places even in Isaiah here, and I think, I guess I should read it here. It says, "This, But to this man will I look, even to him that is poor, and of a contrite spirit, and trembleth at my word. I believe there's, I think I can turn to it here, in Isaiah, maybe I can't, where he, he asks, says much the same thing, he um, asks the question of, Sorry, I can't turn to it. But he says much the same thing and says that he is the high and holy one. And yet he will dwell with those of a humble and contrite spirit. Here he uses these words again, a humble and contrite spirit. Or no, sorry, it says a poor and a contrite spirit here. David in one of his psalms mentions that same type of a heart. That that is what God is looking for. And trembleth at my word. And I don't think that that means that God is desiring that we would be just quaking with fear as we go through life. Worried and we see the idea and the ideas out there in some extent, two ways that if you do something wrong, God's just waiting up there with a lightning bolt to strike you down. And then I've seen people who've said things that in reality I tremble for them. And they basically, this person said that if there's a God, maybe he'd strike me down. And then when nothing happens, they, they're like, well, see, there's no God. God. Yes, he is a loving God, but he is also just and righteous and holy. And we are to, as we look into this word, recognize those different things of God. God demands complete perfection. And if we look at ourselves in the light of God's word, we're pretty poor examples of perfection. We fail constantly. And if we just stayed in that place, it would be a bad place to be. But a person, God encourages us to go from that place of understanding how much of a failure we are when we compare ourselves to God's standards and allow that our hearts could be humbled. And I believe that 
When we are humbled, we will come with a contrite spirit. There's an understanding that we do not meet God's standards. And I would hope that God could put it in our hearts and in other hearts to look to him when we are at that state. I believe that the devil would want to bring in and harden a heart. That it would just maybe come to some form of the idea that, well, I can't live up to that standard, so there's no use trying. No, we can't live up to that standard. But we've been given a Savior that did. And we've been given the promise in the Bible that that perfection that he was able to live, that fulfilling of the law, it can, we can take it for us. And all we have to do is come to this place where we recognize how poor we are at keeping God's word. And have a humility and a sorrow for our failures. And trembling at my word. That we would acknowledge that God is God and we are human. And that we would, as much as we desire, and hopefully as Christians, it is the desire of our heart and spite of our failures, to walk as God would want us to walk. And when we fail, we have reverence for God's word, and so we are obedient to it. We are fearful, if I say, of going against it. We see even, as I mentioned, that person that I was talking about that said, well, if there's a God, may he strike me down. And I believe that we would have a fear of for those people. I believe that's part of even what it says here, trembling at my word. It may be for us at times, but I believe that in some cases, or maybe in many cases, when we recognize and we understand what God is to the degree that we can as a human. And how it is that we are, if I say required, to live perfectly. And we see what God has offered, what he has provided through Christ, the love that he has shown to us through what he has provided. And then we see people blatantly disregarding it, blatantly mocking that. We tremble for them. Because the word of God gives us very clear instruction that, I don't know how to word it, but to, to be in God's bad books is not a good place to be. I can remember my grandfather saying that people could understand that there is a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. And when we say that there is a hell to shun, it's that there is reason and it's not even very detailed, but there's enough there to understand 
it's not some place you would want your worst enemy to go. And you as a person, we definitely don't want to go there. We live in a world where it appears that as a nation and as maybe as the whole world, people seem to be in large degree turning their backs more and more on God and going after their own ideas and understandings. And we see the evil that it causes and the trouble and the hurt and all that that it causes. And it gives us a tiny England because God's mercy is still here. His spirit is still here. To think of somewhere where that wasn't, it's beyond our comprehension. But I can say it's not somewhere where we want to be. And we can tremble at people spurning the word of God. And I pray that we would not do that. That we would have a reverence for it. God, there he asks, I made this whole world. What can you offer me? And then he answers his own question. A poor and a contrite spirit. To basically, God is what he is desiring and where he wants to dwell is in a heart of a mankind that just humbles itself before him. Then he goes through a verse here. And I don't, I have to say, I don't have any great understanding into what each thing means, and perhaps there is. But it gives me a thought, and I'll read it here. It says, He that killeth an ox is as if he slew a man. He that sacrificeth a lamb is as if he cut off a dog's neck. He that offereth an oblation is as if he offered swine's blood. He that burneth incense is as if he blessed an idol. We understand that these things here, sacrificing an ox or a lamb, or offering incense, offering an oblation to God, I can go into the Mosaic Law, the Levitical Law, and we could find where each one of those things are instructed by God for the people to do them. And this here verse, I believe, it starts getting very close to home. When I was talking earlier, and not purposely, but it just seemed like I was speaking of there's a vast difference between Christians and the world, and there is. But when we read this verse, it starts to get a little closer to home, and we see that even as Christians, and even individually, we need to be careful. Because it's easy to get doing something, and it's still wrong. Something that even, we could say, well, God instructed this. And these things, God instructed them. He instructed the people to do these things. And it goes back to what I said 
when I started how different it is between what we as people see and what God sees. God is dealing with the heart. And if I say it, God wants to deal with the motivation of our actions. We can do things that look very good. There, and the reality of it, there's a lot of it going on in the world today. In fact, and this is maybe unrelated and yet totally related, I happened to watch a little thing this morning, and this happened to be our Prime Minister speaking, and he's telling us, or he's in the speech, he's explaining how it's from the bottom of his heart the concern for us that he's bringing in these things. I think that most of us here would understand that it's not the reality. And to me, that's just a blatant example of what I'm trying to say. Because it can come to each of us as individuals. Let us make sure. And it, it further down it, it tells what the problems it can cause is if we do not turn to Christ. And that is the bottom line. Is that all our actions all the motivation of our heart would be from the Spirit of God directing us. And that we would listen to it. And that if there is something wrong, something that is contrary to God's word, and the Spirit is prompting us or poking us to do something about it, that we would listen. That we would humble ourselves. That we would, if I say, be honest with ourselves about how poor we are at living up to God's standards. Because if we don't do that, then we're not going to come to the place that we would be looking for forgiveness for what we've done, because what would be the need? And we see how God has laid all these things out, so they work for our benefit. Because if we are honest and recognize our failures, we recognize that God demands perfection, but through Christ there is forgiveness. And I hope we understand that as Christians, we are encouraged to put those things, it says, lay aside the weights and the sins which just so easily beset us. And it's interesting how it says, so easily doth beset us. It isn't something that is difficult for us to fall into, it's easy for us to fall into. So 
But I believe what all these things are telling us is that these people were were doing the outward letter of the law. They were following it. But there was a problem because the heart was not right and in the eyes of God even even sacrificing a lamb it's like you're cutting off a dog's neck. It's not an acceptable sacrifice and it's not something that's good to do. And killing an ox yes there's many places where they were to kill ox and we can read many of those Old Testament patriarchs where they sacrificed an ox to God. But it was done from a heart that was right with God or from the right motivation. These people were were not doing it and it's an abomination to God and all these things. I believe very simply put they were doing what it looks good but because the heart was not coming from the right motivation it's an abomination to God. And I would pray that we could be aware of that. We are no different than man from the beginning. From the time that Adam was created till the end of time, human nature is human nature. We aren't better than these people that are here in Isaiah writing to. Let us be careful that what we are doing is coming from the heart. And that what is in our heart is the Spirit of God motivating us. It says, He that burneth incense oops, is he be blessed an idol. Yea, they have chosen their own ways, and their soul delighteth in their abominations. These people, they were doing their own thing. They were wanting to put a, I guess, a surface of godliness about it. But it says very clearly they've chosen their own ways. They were doing it from their own manly reasoning. They were thinking they were doing something that would be of merit for God. Makes me think of there's a portion in the first part of Isaiah here. <coughs> Excuse me. Is it the fifth chapter? Fourth chapter? Fourth chapter of Isaiah. And it's an interesting verse. It's the first verse that says, And in that day seven women shall take hold of one man, saying, We will eat our own bread and wear our own apparel. Only let us be called by thy name to take away our reproach. If we look at many places in the Bible, it likens the church to the bride of Christ, to a woman. And I believe here, and it's speaking about the end times, so think it's pertinent that we would pay attention to it. It says there are seven women. And I believe that the reason it's saying that is that it is speaking of these very good looking churches that are in that day that it's speaking about. 
says, and they shall take a hold of one man. And I believe we read to the end of that verse, that man that is speaking about is Christ. But there's a problem. It says, we will eat our own bread and wear our own apparel. We know, even when we take communion, we say, this is the bread of life. This is the body of Christ broken for you. That is what we are to feed upon Christ, which is the word of God. And we are to be robed in his righteousness. That is what our apparel is to be. What Christ has done for us, shed his blood on the cross and provided his righteousness for us. That is what we are to be clothed in to be of any value. These people, it says, we will eat our own bread and wear our own apparel. They're going to come up with their own doctrine and they're going to cover themselves with what they've come up with. Self-righteousness, works, whatever you want to call it. It says, only let us be called by thy name to take away our reproach. They are doing their own thing and claiming the name of Christ. It's a dangerous place to be. And I believe that it's speaking much of the same thing that it is talking about these people here that I read about. They've chosen their own ways. When we are doing things, and there's nothing wrong with tradition, it is good. And I've spoke on that before, how simple traditions are completely necessary. The tradition is we come here for church Sunday morning at 10.30. If we didn't have that, someone could show up at 7, someone could show up at 3, and it would not work. It's not something that's biblical, it's a tradition, but there's nothing wrong with it. But let us be careful not to mix up those things. Coming to church at 10.30 does not make you a Christian. But neither can we take and take the faith and things like that and just say, well, those aren't necessary. Take what Christ has done on the cross and say, well, that's not really necessary. We can do our own thing. Let us listen to the Spirit and not create our own ways. Not just call on the name of Christ superficially and do our own thing. When we take a stand on something, when we take a stand against something that someone is wanting to bring into our lives or into the world, we don't necessarily have to fight it, but let us compare it to the Word of God and take a stand on what is right. If it does not line up with God's Word, we can say, no, there's a problem here. Not because I say there's a problem here, but because the Word of God says there's a problem here. That is our standard that we are to measure everything with. So that we don't get off in our own ways. We can go and look at many, and I believe we see it happening around us. There's many churches that claim to be Christian churches. And yet, if you take many of their teachings and compare them to the Bible, there's a problem. 
it doesn't line up. And there's portions that we just have to leave out. Portions that we want to add a little bit to make it fit better with my reasoning because surely God wouldn't do that. It doesn't seem to make sense to me. So it must mean something a little bit different. It's a dangerous road to go down. And yet, it's where mankind wants to go because we want to come up with our own ideas. It says, their soul delighteth in their abominations. These things, no matter how close it might appear to be to what God says to do, if it's coming from the wrong heart, the heart is motivated by man's reasoning. It's an abomination to God. And that sounds harsh, but it's how it is. We see, maybe it's just myself, but I look at the first two kings in Israel that's recorded, King Saul and King David. We can read through their lives and we can see that Saul's life, they both started out being anointed by God to be king over Israel. Saul, he took a path and you can read through there and yeah, he made a few mistakes. We can see that. But we see his end was not good. God completely, if I say he turned his back on him, he wouldn't hear him anymore. His end was destruction, spiritually. We have King David. We can read in several places where David sinned grievously. And yet, we can see at the end, and he is talked about and held up as a standard, said he was a man after God's own heart. And we see that it was a matter of heart that God was looking at. There was a problem with Saul's heart. He was trying to do his own thing and make it appear good. There's the one place where he comes and Isaiah, not Isaiah, Samuel comes and questions him about what he's doing. And Samuel said, God has turned his back on you. Saul says, come and worship with me that I may look good in the eyes of the people. And to me, that's a statement that's very clear. Saul was trying to do things that he looked good to the people. In David's heart, when when um, Nathan comes to him and confronts him about what happened with Bathsheba, and we understand that he committed adultery with another man's wife, he murdered the man, they tried to hide it, all these things. I could come up with quite a few people that it looks like David sinned against there. What does David say in the psalm? He says to God, I have sinned against thee and thee only. We see that David was concerned about where his heart was with God. It wasn't a matter of the people. It was where his heart was before God. And we see that God honors that. And here even, God is saying this again. A poor and a contrite spirit, David recognized and owned up to 
how poor he was. And he was contrite about it. And he wanted to make things right between him and God. Saul wanted to look good in the eyes of the people. The end does not look very good. It says, I also will choose their delusions and bring their fears upon them. I think there's a portion in Thessalonians, in the second chapter of Thessalonians, and it speaks about the end time, and there's, it says, who talking about the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. And we understand where the temple of God is, it's the heart of man. And so this person here is wanting to sit in the place of God and claim that he is God. And I believe that it's what people are doing. They want to claim that we have the ability to do what God does. And there's many things that would point to that. But it talks about the end of these, and it says down in the 11th verse of that second chapter of Second Thessalonians, For this cause God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believe not the truth, but have pleasure in, had pleasure in unrighteousness. These that I read about in Isaiah, and I believe it's speaking about much the same thing. God says he will choose their delusion. It tells us what that cho- choice is. That they would believe a lie. Yes, even as Christians we can be fooled sometimes. Someone can tell us something and we can think it's truth and it's not. But I think the vast majority of the time and all the time I will say if it's something important it will be revealed what the truth is. And yet we see even as I mentioned to earlier we see rulers of this world speaking things that they're blatant lies and yet people are believing them. And I guess the I, I wonder how can this be? How on earth can people believe when they're being flat out lied to? But they're turning away from God. And this tells us why. They want to make their own ideas. They want to make their own way. They want to come up with their own way of doing things. Turning their back on God. And God allows them to go there and instead of believing in the truth, said earlier there, they have chosen their own ways. We can turn to John and it tells us about the way that we are to choose. And I mentioned it, I guess, already what it is. Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And that is what we want to do, is come to the Father. And there is only one way to do that. There isn't any other way besides Christ. And it is why we encourage people 
to believe in what Christ has done. Believe in the merits. Believe in salvation through Him. Trust in what He has done to be enough. Don't come up with something else on your own. One, I mean, if I say this, it's, we understand in lots of ways how lazy we are as people. And yet when it comes like something to this, it's the simplest thing in the world, thinking in natural terms here, sort of, to just simply believe. And yet people will want to go through all sorts of things and we can see all rituals people come up with and ideas that you have to do this and you can't do this and you've got to do this and it changes a little bit and all these things that people can come up with that are just endless and can wear you out. And yet that's where our human flesh wants to go. And I guess it shows the truth of what the Word of God says that Our flesh will never repent. It is the soul. And that is what God wants to deal with. Matters of heart and soul. And perfection there is what God is looking for. And that perfection there comes through Christ. That is the way that we can take care of things. Through what Jesus has offered he tells here why he will bring these delusions and fears upon them it says because when I called none did hear when I spake they did not hear but they did evil before mine eyes and chose that which I delight not I don't know why there seems to be maybe because I was in Isaiah so many things and I think I can turn to it here it's in the at the beginning of the 55th chapter of Isaiah. And this is in thinking here when he says here twice that I called and none did answer. I spake and they did not hear. And I believe that it gives us the understanding there that we are to be listening. We are to be attentive to, to God, to that still small voice. And I guess to add emphasis to that, I'll read these first few verses in the 55th chapter of Isaiah. And it tells us, I believe, three times that we are to listen. It says, Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters, and he that hath no money, come ye, buy and eat. Yea, come, buy wine and milk, without money and without price. Wherefore do you spend money for that which is not bread? And ye labor for that which satisfieth not. Hearken diligently unto me. There's the first time. We're to listen. Hearken diligently unto God. And eat that ye which and eat ye that which is good. And let your soul delight itself in fatness. Incline your ear. There he's encouraging us to listen attentively. And hear. Incline your ear. And hear. Sorry, I lost my place. Um, Incline your ear and come unto me. Hear and your soul shall live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you. Even the sure mercies of David. And there just, as I mentioned earlier, David is held up as an example. 
because he had a heart that recognized he was wrong before God. And he desired to take care of those problems the way God says to. Not in his own ideas, not in his own way. He turned, and if I say this, he put his faith in what Christ would accomplish for David. We have the privilege of understanding that that has been accomplished. And we can put our faith in that. It tells about these people that they do their own thing, they don't listen, they did evil, and they chose that which God does not delight in. Earlier, he said what he is looking for, a poor and a contrite spirit, a humble and a contrite heart. God is just simply asking that we will be honest with ourselves and acknowledge what we are in the light of what God demands and humble ourselves. Seek forgiveness through Christ, through his blood. It is there. It's available. Forgiveness is available. Let's not put on some show of being good or that we don't do this fall into problems or sins or have failures. We all do. And it will show up. But if we give it to God, turn those things over and seek the forgiveness that is available through the blood of Christ and believe in it. Believe that it is so. That is what God asks. God gives us these warnings that we would not get off track. He desires that all would be saved. So let us, as he encourages us here, listen to him. Listen to this word. Listen to that still small voice. Don't leave portions out. Don't ignore little instructions. Seek God. And he's promised he will draw us and he will be near. In Jesus' name, amen. Shall we humble our hearts and receive the benediction? May the Lord bless thee and keep thee. May the Lord make his face to shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Somebody have a song we can close with? 446. 446. Thank mm-hmm. you.